Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in a moment, how the local nonprofit Horizons Atlanta plans to help students this summer. And then later, a conversation about catching up with those students who didn't log on for virtual learning and how to, and how to help students this upcoming fall semester. But first, we'll begin with this. Georgia's Lieutenant Governor, Republican Jeff Duncan, is speaking out against some of the state Republican-backed bills overhauling the state's election system. Now, Duncan appeared on NBC's Meet the Press this past Sunday. Republicans don't need election reform to win. We need leadership. I think there's millions of Republicans waking up around the country that are realizing that Donald Trump's divisive tone and strategy is, is unwinnable uh, in, in, in forward-looking elections. We need real leadership. We need new, new focus, a GOP 2.0 that includes moderates in the middle uh, to get us to the next election cycle. Duncan also reiterated he will not run for the U.S. Senate seat currently held by Democrat Reverend Raphael Warnock. Now, the lieutenant governor did go on to say he wants to focus efforts on rebuilding the Republican Party. In other news, which is always a big news as relates to the coronavirus here in the United States, the White House reports the number of Americans vaccinated for COVID-19 is steadily rising. Nearly 30 percent of adults and nearly two thirds of seniors have now received their first vaccination shot. And we are accelerating vaccinations in anticipation of meeting the president's goal, being ready to be open up all vaccinations to all adults by May 1st at the latest. Over the last seven days, we're now averaging 2.4 million shots per day. Now that is White House Senior Advisor for the COVID Response Team, Andy Slavitt, during the weekly COVID-19 press briefing, which was just a moment ago. Still, despite some progress, Americans are being encouraged to not let up on practicing safety measures. Dr. Rochelle Walensky is the director of the Atlanta-based Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This past Friday, we saw more travelers pass through our airports, over 1.3 million. This is the most travelers that we've had in a single day since last March, before the WHO declared the global pandemic. We have seen footage of people enjoying spring break festivities maskless. This is all in the context of still 50,000 cases per day. I'm pleading with you for the sake of our nation's health. These should be warning signs for all of us. Cases climbed last spring. They climbed again in the summer. They will climb now if we stop taking precautions when we continue to get more and more people vaccinated. Meanwhile, here in Georgia, today is the first day all individuals 55 years of age and older are now eligible for the COVID-19 vaccinations. The Georgia Department of Public Health expanded this group starting today. Now, individuals and those with disabilities and those over the age of 16 with certain conditions are eligible as well. And this comes just over a year now since the coronavirus was declared a pandemic. Now, since last March, here are your number, eight. 835,484 COVID-19 cases have been reported here in Georgia, and in total, 15,871 coronavirus coronavirus deaths have been reported. That's at the time of this broadcast, and more than 57,000 Georgians have been hospitalized. Now, according to the State Department of Public Health, the number of vaccines administered is more than 2.7, and we'll have more about that number in just a moment because joining me now to give us the latest on Georgia's coronavirus trends and all the other news, as he so often does, is WABE health reporter and the host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? Sam Whitehead. Sam, thanks for taking the time on this Monday. I appreciate it. Hey, Rose. Always great to be with you. Well, let's begin here. We just heard a portion of this week's COVID-19 briefing from the White House. They do two a week. Uh, What stood out to you from today's update? 
I mean, just that bit of tape that y'all played from Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, using a word like pleading um, when talking about her kind of encouraging people to not lose focus of, you know, keeping their prevention up when it comes to stopping the spread of COVID-19. That's very strong language. And I think that, you know, I've heard that from a lot of public health officials. They're worried that because things have been looking better with our numbers and the weather is getting warmer, that those factors are going to really encourage people to say, maybe not wear masks as much as they should, maybe not to keep their distance like they should, and that that could spike another wave in the, uh, the pandemic. And we should note, Sam, I was just reading an article prior to becoming coming on the air with you that because of the recent NBA, there were some NBA all-star parties that took place and some pictures that have the proof that these folks were partying, no mask. So they expect to see an increase in some coronavirus new cases. So just put that out there for all you all out there who were partying and didn't have your mask on. But anyway, that's another segment. Now, Sam, you know, we give these updates every day. But based on your reporting, your analysis, how would you describe the current trends we're seeing right now here in Georgia in terms of overall cases, hospitalizations and deaths? I mean, things are looking a lot better than they were uh, just a few weeks ago um, in early January. That is certainly the case. You know, we've seen newly confirmed cases now down um, even below where things were kind of in this dip that we saw between our summer surge and our winter surge, hospitalizations are down too as our deaths. Um, But Rose, it's really important to know that just because things are down, um, that doesn't mean that they're going to keep going that way, right? And that Mm. I think gets to what Dr. Walensky said, that we really all play a role in determining what happens next in the pandemic. Um, And that really comes down to do people follow public health advice or not? And Sam, before we get to that expanded eligibility list, I know you can bring some clarity to this. I just gave a number regarding the number of vaccines administered. It was more than two million. But does that mean two million Georgians have been vaccinated? Give our listeners uh, some clarity here. Well, sure. So um, I'm actually just pulling up the page from the Georgia Department of Public Health now that has that on there. You know, the state does break it down into first and second doses. And looking statewide, it looks like about 2.7 million vaccines have been administered for the first dose. That's about 1.6 million for the second. That's about 1 million flat. And it's important to remind people, Rose, that the vaccines that are widely available here in Georgia and across the country, the ones from Pfizer and Moderna, are two dose regimens, right? Mm -hmm. So while you do get a lot of protection from that first dose, it is required and recommended that you get that second dose to get fully protected. So that second dose number is, is really important considering that. And that's what people, if folks are going to be following that dashboard, they should understand the, some clarity in how that works. And I appreciate that. Now, Sam, today is the first day of this expanded list here for the COVID-19 vaccine. For some clarity, because you are the man with all of this, what phase is Georgia in right now? We were one in 1A, 1A plus. Where are we? Well, the governor said not too long ago that the state was going to do away with kind of this phase system uh, altogether. And we've really seen that. Uh, The governor last week announced that as of today, adults older than 55, people with disabilities and really anyone in the state with a health condition that puts them at high risk for getting really sick from COVID-19, things like asthma, diabetes, heart disease, they all qualify now. And what we're looking at, I think, in the next few weeks, Rose, is the state really opening that up even more. Mm -hmm. Um, The governor said last week that based on supply, um, he would hope that he could be able to open up vaccination to everyone in the state um, sometime in early April. And we've seen now the Biden administration call for everyone in the U.S. Uh, to be eligible as of May 1. Um, so I think that really in the next few weeks, the idea of phases are going to be kind of uh, something of the past because this is really going to be widely available to everybody. Sam, do we know anything about which particular manufacturer's vaccine may be more suitable for folks if they have an increased risk of severe severe illness from COVID-19? I was reading something about maybe those 16 years, uh, they may want to use the Pfizer. I don't know if you know anything about that. And definitely we ask folks to consult with their own primary physician. But what are you hearing? Well, sure. And this gets down to how these uh, shots have actually been authorized. The Food and Drug Administration actually sets ages 
for who they think should be getting these vaccines. And Pfizer's is the only one that has been authorized for people 16 and older, which means that if you're you know, a 16 or 17 year old with asthma in Georgia who now qualifies, that's gonna be the shot that you need to get. Mm-hmm. Moderna and Johnson & Johnson's vaccine have been authorized for people 18 and older. And it is important to note the state Department of Public Health says Pfizer's vaccine is available at these mass vaccination sites the state has been running for some time now. Um, and at some private uh, pharmacies. And that if people have any questions about what shot they're looking for, that they might get at a certain pharmacy to to call ahead and and make sure. Sam, any idea, and I know we've been given some some websites here, but for those, I actually received an email today from someone who said, you know, I'm trying to find the the nearest place for me and and his wife. And so obviously we tell folks the best information we have. But Work should folks start to begin to try to find a, a site to register or get an appointment? Well, that is a great question, Rose, because it's not all that centralized here in Georgia. So um, if someone's, say, looking to get to one of these big mass vaccination sites being run by the state, the closest one here to us in Atlanta is down by the Atlanta airport. Mm-hmm. The website to get appointments there is myvaccinegeorgia.com. Now, the Georgia Department of Public Health Um, also has a lot of resources on their site. They have links to say private uh, providers, Mm -hmm. small clinics, public health clinics that you can call to get shots. They also have links to private sector players, uh, commercial pharmacies, uh, drug stores that might be at grocery stores where people can book shots. Now, my sense is that the federal government is in the works of putting together kind of like one centralized place where people can sign up for shots. We also have The feds bringing in this mass vaccination site or rather supplementing the mass vaccination effort happening at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Mm -hmm. That should be standing up sometime soon. So um, where people start is kind of up to them. Um, There are a lot of different places to look, though, at this point to to find find an appointment. If you're just joining us, I'm joined by WABE, WABE health reporter and host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? Sam Whitehead. As usual, we're talking about all the latest coronavirus news that you all need to know. And now we're talking about the expanded eligibility here for the vaccine in Georgia beginning today. Uh, but Sam, look, it, this is great news for folks, but also we need to be clear because according to the CDC, um, Georgia is last in the nation um, for its vaccination rates. Uh How has the governor first responded to these reports? Yeah, he gets questions about this a lot. Um, And he says a few things. First, that, you know, the numbers from the CDC don't tell the whole story. The governor says the state's not doing so poorly when it comes to getting second doses administered. Um, where the CDC is mainly looking at first doses. Um, The governor also said something interesting last week, too. He said that he wasn't even um, necessarily 100 percent behind the numbers put out from the State Department of Public Health Hmm. on the number of shots going into arms, which was either a misstatement or, uh, you know, he really doesn't trust the state numbers. But that stuck out to me. You know, Rose, this is a complex effort. And what I've heard is that providers are not generally used to reporting this kind of data and the volume of data for vaccinations. They have to report childhood vaccines, um, but what the effort to get shots into arms now is much different than just kind of the normal childhood vaccination um, Mm -hmm. nations that happen, uh, you know, in non-pandemic times. So I think that's a challenge here. Another thing that we've heard the governor talk about is some parts of the state are already seeing demand go down. People might remember when shots were first available, demand was very high. Mm -hmm. But he said last week that some rural parts of the state also are already seeing demand declining. And what we could have here is just a mismatch. Doses sitting in freezers in parts of the state where people are not as interested in getting vaccinated. Um, as they are here in Metro Atlanta, where demand is still very high. So then is is my next question fair or not? We know that other states are doing better than Georgia. Any other assessments you want to add in terms of what we could be? I don't want to say doing wrong. I want to be positive. What we what we could be doing better in terms of process? You know, the, the, the thing that I'm interested in is how the state really is allocating doses uh, around the state, not just here in, in metro Atlanta, because, you know, that is what I'm kind of curious about moving forward. We will reach a point, Rose, where the really crazy demand that we saw for shots early on just goes away. 
we will have kind of saturation of the people who are really excited to get shots. And then the work is going to have to happen to convince people who are skeptical or hesitant to actually get injected with this vaccine. And so, you know, I wonder how the state is doing to really assess demand on the ground, um, because that's kind of a, a, a second order concern, right? Like it's really easy to get shots to people who really want them. I think it's harder to figure out what to do with shots in areas where people are maybe not so excited about them. Well, having said all that, Sam, Governor Kemp has stated that all adults may be eligible for vaccination by April 1st. Meanwhile, the president has that May 1st. But given what you all just, you just said, I mean, is this a realistic, I mean, all eligible adults could be eligible for vaccination by April. That's, that's a reasonable timeline. I mean, it, you know, from, from what I've heard on these White House COVID briefings, which they do a few times a week, you know, supplies of vaccine have really been ramping up. Um, and the governor and, you know, here in Georgia and pub, uh, federal health officials have given indication that they expect that to be the case. So, mm-hmm. you know, April opening up, um, opening up vaccinations in April does seem reasonable, um, especially when you consider that we are going to have a substantial portion of the population. And I think the question is how big it's going to be of people who just don't want this thing. You know, we've, we've seen again, such high demand early on, but I think we're already seeing in some parts of the state that demand flagging and we're going to continue to see that. So yes, it seems generous to open up things to all adults um, within a few weeks. That's kind of a a crazy timeline thinking Mm -hmm. about we're only a year into the pandemic. But I think that that lack of demand that we're already starting to see is is a big part of why that's going to be possible. Well, look, July 4th, that's a a date that President Biden would like to hopefully see this nation return to some sense of, of normalcy by then. Then we heard earlier today that guess what? The Traditional Peachtree Road race will take place. So a lot to get to as we wrap up. uh, Sam, what metrics will you be following moving forward Um, between now, I guess, and maybe those magical dates of April 1 and May 1 and July 4th? I mean, I think it's important to keep in mind that things will be maybe somewhat normal by July 4th, not totally normal, just to kind of clarify there. But I think it's really important, Rose, just to see what cases look like from, from here on out, you know, we have seen indications in some settings like nursing homes, for example, where mass vaccination and a high uptake of vaccine um, that really can drive infections down. And, you know, we are starting to see things really look better here in the country. I think as vaccines continue to roll out, those numbers will keep getting better. But it's really important, Rose, to stress that you know, vaccinations are not necessarily going to be all that's needed here. People, you know, until they get vaccinated are still going to have to be cautious. The CDC says there are still things that you'll need to do after getting vaccinated, like wearing a mask in public. So, you know, those kind of personal actions are still really going to be important. Um, And Dr. Walensky herself said it today. We all kind of have a stake in what the pandemic looks like from from here on out. So it's going to be up to all of us. Great reporting as always. Sam Whitehead is WABE's health reporter and host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? Sam, as always, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Did you know today is National Napping Day or National Nap Day? Oh, Lord. It's it's because the time just changed, right? Yeah. (laughs) Take a nap, Sam. I need one. Thanks, Rose. Tell the news director I said so. He won't mind. (laughs) Take care, Sam. Bye-bye. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Yeah, 
And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. As we just talked about, the goal is to make every adult in the nation eligible for vaccination. All adult Americans will be eligible to get a vaccine no later than May 1. That's much earlier than expected. Let me be clear. That doesn't mean everyone's going to have that shot immediately, but it means you'll be able to get in line beginning May 1. Now, it's a task that the Biden administration will, of course, need help from the states to achieve this. And here in Georgia, as the eligible list expands to include educators, that also means those traditional summer programs from stu- for students could return to normal. At least Horizons Atlanta is hopeful will be one of those organizations to do so. Last summer just wasn't possible. Joining me now to discuss the planning for an in-person summer program is Alex Wan. He's executive director and, of course, who spent so many years on the Atlanta City Council. He's executive director of the program. Alex, thanks for taking the time. Good to see you. Good to see you as well, Rose. Thanks for having me. How have you been this last year? Start there. It's been, it's been different, that's for sure. But uh, I'm looking at you through Zoom. Your hair is long. It is. It's my COVID rebellion hair. Look so at you. Once we get out of the uh, the pandemic, uh, it'll go back to its normal look. So no, in the meantime, I like it. You got a 70s thing going on there. <laughs> <laughs> you look like a member of the Doobie Brothers. give me me a guitar and a microphone let's go Uh, well let's begin here because could you imagine where we are now you just heard that conversation with our health reporter sam whitehead we're talking about getting folks vaccinated we're talking about returning to some sense of normalcy could you imagine when you've been here after 2020 with this coronavirus pandemic well, it was almost a year ago to the date that we had our, our board meeting um, with the organization and we were talking about the summer, thinking it was just kind of a temporary thing. Um, but here you know, we just had a board meeting this morning acknowledging that things st- still aren't back to normal yet, but mm-hmm. we're going to do everything we can for our scholars to give them the experience and the support that they need this summer. Do you have concerns, Alex, that despite more folks getting vaccinated, that there could be too much of a relaxed approach to folks still practicing all these safety measures? Well, we on our side are going to do everything we can in terms of protecting our, our staff and our scholars. The protocols that our institutions have already put in place, we will continue. We're encouraging our instructors to go get vaccinated now that uh, um, the governor has opened that uh, segment of the population up for qualified uh, to be to get the shot. Um, and then we're going to do you know, simple things like social distancing mm-hmm. and, and masks when uh, appropriate. So um, we think it's important. Oh, and we'll still offer a virtual option to our, our scholars who okay. aren't comfortable yet. Um, but all in all, we're going to do everything we can to, to get our, our teams and our scholars back uh, so that we can you know, start making up for that COVID learning loss that they experienced last year. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a moment, but let's revisit for our listeners not familiar with Horizons Atlanta. What type of programs you all offer your scholars and students in the summer? So typically in a normal summer, non-COVID summer, we offer a tuition-free six-week summer enrichment program that's focused on literacy, math, and swimming. I mean, there's also some social emotional um, elements to it, STEAM, um, project-based learning, but those are the three core elements that that we provide. Uh, we house them on the campuses of independent schools and colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. And the, the notion is to just combat summer slide rather than having students lose what they learned during the school year because they're out of school and, and don't have any enrichment. Uh, we provide that environment so that they can not only not lose, but uh, on average, we have them gain anywhere from two to three months of skills in literacy and math. So it's real important, um, particularly in the communities we serve, that that uh, we continue um, providing and supporting our, our families. And Alex, for our listeners, give a snapshot of the typical scholars that you all are able to help during the summer. Who are these kids? Where are they from? Yep. Um, We recruit incoming grade level. uh, The summer after you finish kindergarten, we recruit you in. Uh, We typically look for families that are on the free and reduced lunch programs at the school and are already performing below grade level. Mm -hmm. Um, We really want to get to the the parts of the community that that need our help the most and and often fall through the cracks. What makes our program different, too, though, it's not a one and done. Um, We invite all of our families to come back. Um, until you are a rising ninth grader. And some of our programs even have high school programs, but that's mm-hmm. essentially eight years of programming in the summer that we can continue that commu- cumulative dosage and make sure that um, the, the transitions are seamless and the support is continuous. And it's so important when you have all the scholars together and working with the staff. Last summer, you all had to shift. How challenging was that? Uh, I, I My hat's 
uh, my hat is off to our teams and our instructors. I mean, they they saw what was happening with the school districts and and really picked the best of what was happening there and learned from um, some of the opportunities and were, were able to craft together virtual programs that um, mir mirrored as closely as possible what we should traditionally want to provide to our scholars. Um, you know, the instruction may be online, but we sent home packets that included supplies and things that the, the scholars could do with their hands alongside the on, uh, online instruction. Um, there were fun elements as well that mm -hmm. we weren't able to do anything in person like the swimming, um, but we tried to do as much as we could um, given the technology and, and given the, the platform. Alex, did you all also have to, were there any other resources that the students, the scholars and their households needed? You all had to shift and help in that area too. Yeah, when we surveyed our families at the beginning of the summer, um, we found out that food insecurity was a huge challenge. Um, and and we've, all, we've always served uh, breakfast and lunch and snack at our programs because we know the hunger gap doesn't stop just because the, mm -hmm. the school year stops. And we're happy to step into that space. And last year, because we weren't in person, because the, the school districts were also stepping back in, in the food distribution they were doing, we, we saw an opportunity and a responsibility, quite frankly, to um, resume that. So, yeah, for eight weeks, I mean, we were packing and receiving and sharing um, five days worth of uh, breakfast, lunch and sometimes dinner uh, for our families to come pick up. And, um, you know, we, we just believe that our approach can't be just about the academics and mm -hmm. it needs to be about the whole student and child well-being. I can't tell you, Alex, how many conversations we've had on this program over the last year about the importance of food, making food, res these resources available for folks. If you don't know that there was a need for this in the Atlanta area, then I don't know where you've been. If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Alex Wan. He's the executive director of Horizons Atlanta. And we've been discussing how the pandemic altered their usual programming for the area students and scholars. But now we're going to talk about how they plan to return this summer. So, Alex, just to be clear, as of right now, Horizons Atlanta plans to resume that in-person programming, that hands-on with the, the students and scholars this summer, correct? So I'll be on it, it clearly it's a, it's on a site by site basis. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on our host institutions um, uh, comfortableness and readiness to have students back on campus. Um, but right now it looks like at least half of our, our programs will be back in person. Another third um, to a quarter will probably be some sort of hybrid on some on campus, some virtual. And one program is going to stay completely virtual, but we're, we're moving in the right direction in terms of being able to see our, our scholars in person. How much of a focus will there be on social and emotional skills and, and learning in that area? Yeah, so w as we continue to stay in touch with our families um, through our, our teachers, um, yeah, we're recognizing that uh, that's going to have to be uh, an increased component of our programming this summer. You know, our scholars are coming off of a year of just unprecedented stress and, and a lot of times loss, um, mm -hmm. not just learning loss, but um, family loss, community mm -hmm. loss. And so we recognize that, you know, again, going back to that whole notion, that notion of a, a child's whole well-being, um, we have to acknowledge that we need to support them socially and emotionally as well, um, even before we start thinking about learning. So, um, yeah, you'll, you'll see a, a stepped up effort um, to welcome them back, but welcome them back in a very supportive and, and nurturing environment. Alex, will you all be able to assess in terms of, of infections? Are you all requiring, first of all, all the staff to be vaccinated. Will you all conduct COVID tests for the scholars and, and the staff? We, we, are, we are not going to require vaccinations in uh, order to be a part of our program this summer, but we are going to implement very, very strict and um, well, well thought out protocols in terms of safety. Um, you know, a lot of our, it'll be on a site by site basis based on the host institutions protocols. But for example, um, some sites are, are going to do surveys to make sure that we are um, asking the families if they've traveled, if they're experiencing uh, illness, um, there'll be random temperature checks um, and the like. And then will be protocols if we do discover that anyone has um, uh, contracted COVID. So we're, we're following all the guidelines. We're learning from everything that the school districts as well as our host institutions have learned um, as they've gone back to in-person so that we'll be ready. One of the programs that I've always uh, heard, well, I've heard great things about the programs, but the I want to just give a, a snapshot of the Purpose Built Schools Atlanta mm -hmm. Because that's one I hear people talk about a lot. For our listeners who don't know, tell them. 
So Purpose Built um, is one of our programs. It's one of our newer programs. Um, I, I say newer, it was started in 2018. Um, but yeah, it's it's one that we've partnered directly with Purpose Built Schools Atlanta. Um, this summer, I believe they're up to 210 scholars, um, which makes it one of the biggest that we have in the Atlanta regional area. And, you know, I have to give LaVeja Bullard, the site director, there's so much credit. I mean, she, she works at Purpose Built, so she stays in touch with the scholars and the teachers throughout the year can follow um, their progress, their needs, and comes right in the summer. So it, it is completely seamless in terms of programming and needs and supports. Um, but she makes that program so much fun. I mean, I, I often joke that our mission really should be just kind of um, trick the kids into learning because they're having so much fun. They don't realize that they've picked up in, you know, information and knowledge. Um, and and LaVeja really embodies that. She, she has built a circle around her, fam- mm-hmm. her, her team and her scholars that embody that. Well, and Alex, based on what you just said, as we wrap up, we know that the pandemic has revealed a lot of inequities and disparities. Mm -hmm. We all know that for some folks, they were surprised. Um, But to you, what does this indicate about the educational inequities facing black, Hispanic and, and challenged communities here in the Atlanta area? Well, like you said, it has shined uh, the brightest light that we possibly can shine. And I mean, it goes not just from learning opportunities, but things like the digital divide, just having those basic resources that scholars need to learn. um, We can't ignore that anymore. And and while we've been working in this space for a long time, it's nice that the conversation has expanded um, and that, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see a a broader community push in terms of, uh, you know, bringing equity. Uh, across our metro Atlanta area. And Alex, you all as an organization, I mean, you know, I know you had to look at the books there. How did you all get through this last year? Um, we actually did okay. I mean, and considering, you know, I've been in close contact with other nonprofit uh, executive directors as well. I mean, we we were careful. I mean, I think we um, made sure that we were uh, throttled back on our expenses as necessary, yet you know, we're able to provide um, the services we wanted to. Um, and that, you know, we, we, were, we were very lucky that we had the support of the philanthropic community that stepped mm-hmm. up and understood the need in this space um, and of our community. So um, uh, we thank them. We hope 2021 will be equally as um, stable for us uh, because, again, we want to serve as many kids as we can, as well as deepen the supports that we're providing them. And I must say that the Atlanta community has, the Atlanta philanthropic community has has really done a lot for all these organizations. We appreciate the work that you all are doing. Alex Wan, Executive Director of Horizons Atlanta. And we've been discussing how the education-based nonprofit will provide not only just achievement, but wraparound programs for their scholars, Atlanta students. Alex, good to speak with you as always. Good to talk to you as well. I think it's time to go take a nap. (laughs) See, you were listening. Nap day. (laughs) Take care, Alex. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Now, moments ago, Alex Wan, Executive Director of Horizons Atlanta, just talked about the measures and the focus of their summer learning program for the student scholars they serve. And that leads us to this. What about the fall semester? If all goes the way public health officials and probably everyone in the nation desires as it relates to the coronavirus, students will start the 2020, the 2021-22 school year in familiar surroundings, at their desk, in their labs, in the gyms, in the lunchrooms, on the playground. But there will also be many students who will require remedial assessments as well as other academic and wraparound services. Join me now for this discussion is Ed Chang. He's the executive director of Redefine Ed Atlanta. And this education-based nonprofit works with parent groups and Atlanta communities as they see every student, quote, receives a high-quality education. Ed Chang, welcome back to the program. Good to see you via Zoom. Great to see you as well. Thanks for having me. I'll begin with the same question I asked of Alex Wan. Could you have imagined where we are now after everything we all went through in 2020 with the coronavirus pandemic? You know, I don't think anybody could have really imagined how long it would take. I remember when I first heard about it, I thought, well, like, give it a couple weeks, a couple months, and then we'd be back to business as usual. And here we are a year later, and we're still, we're still, we're still in it. Mm. You know, now the educators in Georgia are eligible. Do you think most districts will probably just keep this hybrid motto in person and 
and and virtual. We'll just keep that now throughout and then start if they haven't already start reassessing what we're going to do for the fall. Or do you think there's still some hesitancy? Because as we heard earlier from Dr. Rochelle Walensky, folks, don't don't let up. We still need to make sure that we all can that this pandemic we all that going up means that we're going to go up in positive numbers and not negative numbers. Yeah, I think I think the one the silver lining here is the vaccine is, is being distributed and folks are eligible in the education force uh, for the vaccine. And so that's that I've heard is giving some folks at least some some positive mm-hmm. um, peace of mind and things like that. So I am hopeful that the fall will will continue in person. Um, you know, and the reality is like honestly, hybrid education is hard. It means that teachers are gonna have to teachers have to teach in person and virtual. That's mm-hmm. that's not very easy. I've heard that. No, Ed, no doubt it has been challenging. We know for all parents, students, school districts, but from a nationwide perspective through your lens, what should be the immediate takeaway to how this nation provides K-12 public education and what the pandemic revealed about all of that? You know, I think, I think there's, there's a couple things. One, um, maybe on the positive side, it, you know, if I think about um, folks are more prepared now for change. Right. I think that I've heard the word equity more in this last year. It's debatable whether everybody knows what that really means, but I've heard the word equity more. Mm-hmm. People are more um, knowledgeable about where inequities lie. Um, and, and I think that people are more prepared because they've had to be forced to innovate, forced to change. Right. Like you had, a, you had districts and teachers and educators who had to, to really do heroic efforts mm-hmm. to remake or reshift the districts within the course of weeks and not years. Um, and, you know. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, Ed, and briefly for our listeners, our close look listeners to understand the mission of Redefine Ed, Redefine Ed Atlanta. What communities are you all focusing on? I mean, our mission is, is wanting to make sure that every child has a great education, right? But the reality is, is that uh, the communities who um, are receiving the, you know, have, have more educational inequities than most or typically fall in black and brown communities, communities that are experiencing higher poverty. Um, that tends to be where we focus our, our efforts in. And did you all have to shift a little bit with, especially last summer, in how you all have been helping? And, and we can say, I think we can say it's fair to say helping a lot of these students and households in the APS district and those communities. Uh, did y'all have to do some shifting because of the pandemic to help these communities? We did. Uh, I think we had to think about how are we looking at staying the course on the larger through line? Because I think that that never changes, right? Mm-hmm. So like ultimately in order for every child to have a great education and great educational experience, we have to stay the course on what are the systems and what are the things that we're actually shifting to ensure that that happens. On the short run though, we had to shift because there was so much more immediate need, right? Um, folks were losing jobs, losing their houses, like they were experiencing lack of healthcare, like, you know, there, there were more deaths as a result of COVID in the black and brown communities. Like you name it, each piece of trauma, like typically fell and was amplified in black and brown communities greater than in, you know, wealthier, parts of the, of, of the city. And so we did a couple of things. One, we reached out to some of the parent organizations that we support. Um, I think you've engaged with some of them, Atlanta Thrive, mm-hmm. uh, LAPS. Uh, those are some of the organizations. And, and we created um, a, a pandemic relief fund. And so what we did is we, we had this pool of money and we said, look, like who's closest to the work? Who's closest to the families who are in need? It's the parent organizations. And so we said, mm-hmm. um, let's support the parent organizations to create their own funds to ensure that communities um, who express need were receiving aid and receiving need. And so um, those two organizations created the FUBU Fund, the For Us By Us Fund, where they administered, I think about at least $100,000 worth of of relief, COVID COVID relief. The other thing that we tried to do is um, we put together an innovation fund for the district. Um, And so this is another effort to get the money onto the ground um, knowing that those who are impacted the most tend to have the best ideas and the best innovation on how to move the work forward because that's the pain that they're experiencing. And so, um, so this fund where we're small grant, small grants, anywhere from 2,500 to $10,000, $15,000 mm-hmm. to ensure that individual schools, that nonprofits, that parent groups could come in and think larger in terms of what are the needs now and to innovate around those solutions and have the capital to actually do it. 
And you use a word there that I'm going to focus on for a moment. You use amplified because when we talk about this pandemic and summer learning loss being amplified and now how school districts, how they will now need to assess kids when they come back in the fall. That being in mind, Ed, what's the challenge in trying to determine this learning gap that so many students have developed or was amplified because of this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big challenge, right? I think, um, you know, one thing that we do know that the, the word amplify is key because this this has always been true, right? Like in our educational system, it's not like um, we didn't have inequity in education achievement gaps and things like that or opportunity gaps pre-pandemic. This is just amplifying what's there. And so I think you're right. Like part of it starts with the assessment piece. But where we're talking about assessment is not just within the academic space because we know that they're going to be amplified gaps there, but schools have to prepare for the impacts of a year of isolation, of a year of virtual, of a year of additional stress and trauma um, that has existed from from that lack of interaction, from uh, potentially families losing jobs, from potentially family members dying um, because of this pandemic. And so people are, children and teachers are going to bring those those stressors, those trauma pieces back into the educational system. So we need to assess on both ends, not just the academic gaps, but also like where are the needs from a social emotional learning perspective, from counseling, from crisis, from just wellness and well-being perspective. And I I would say this expands not just from students, but also to teachers Mm -hmm. and educators. If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Ed Chang. He's the executive director of Redefine Atlanta and the the education-based nonprofit works with parents, parent groups in Atlanta communities here. I, I want to go back to that for a moment because you all over at Redefine at Atlanta, you all have come up with sort of an assessment of sorts for educators and families to understand all of this. What is that? What's in that? Yeah, so we we can we basically put a study out before because what folks were talking about was, you know, what are the effects of, of the pandemic on uh, and COVID on achieving potential achievement rates around the country, but we didn't hear anything about Atlanta. And so we wanted to, to do a, a, really a study that, that showcased what was going to happen in Atlanta. And that, that study predicted some of the, some of the learning loss as a result of COVID, um, you know, on Atlanta's children. And from there, you know, came some sort of recommendations on how do we address some of that? And I think that nationally, we, we are seeing some districts start to approach it. Like, how are you focusing on literacy? How are you focusing on math? How are you ensuring that you're embedding things like um, social emotional learning? How are you looking at the use of time? Are you extending the year, extending the day? How are you creating tutoring and partnership opportunities um, within that? Um, so, so I do think that maybe the, the thing to say is like assess early, um, both academic and um, and wellness, um, allocate resources equitably, because where where resources are needed the most, that's where resources should go. Have very clear plans of intervention. Know what you can do and what you can't do. Where, where your boundaries and limits are based on the system and the structures and the, and the politics of that. Um, and then the other thing that I think I would say is that these are all short term solutions Mm -hmm. for a problem that will likely take years and that has existed for decades in a century beforehand. And so if we're not thinking long-term, the way I see this is this is an opportunity to actually reimagine, to rethink, to reshape the delivery system of how schools prepare black and brown children for success. Because honestly, it wasn't working that well in the first place Mm -hmm. before the pandemic. So this could be an opportunity to start to rethink how we can do this differently. And let me ask you this, how do you test for wellness? Yeah, so I think like, you know, there, there are different organizations that, that, that are well, that are probably more versed than I am on this. So like, mm-hmm. I know Chris 180 does like crisis counseling and mm-hmm. things like that. There are different organizations that do SEL. So I think part of it is, is understanding like what's, what's kind of the method and the model that you're using on the front end, right? So how are you staying consistent? So what, so you can assess things, but if you don't have support systems in place to address that, then what you see is what you get. And then there's nothing to to apply towards the solution. Right. And so like understanding those clear plans first, and then figuring out what do you, what do you actually need to know and find out? So um, who I would imagine, like who is experiencing trauma, like who's coming in 
having trauma experience, like, have you lost somebody? Has somebody been hospitalized? Like, mm. what's been happening, right, um, in your family life? It, it requires the need to actually um, understand who the individual child is, what they've gone through, and build that trusting relationship to then figure out what the supports are. And a lot of parent groups are actually pushing for this idea of, like, individualized learning plans for students. Hmm. All, all students, not just you know, we know that there's an IEP mm-hmm. for students with with disabilities, but so you're saying with special needs rather. So you're yeah. saying maybe have this type of plan for all students. Yeah. So instead of an I, IEP, I think what a lot of parent groups are, are starting to push for is ILPs almost like individualized learning plans for all, because we know different students are being impacted in different ways now. Well, Ed, when you look at districts, large districts, like mm-hmm. obviously APS and Gwinnett and, and you know, Clayton and Cobb, you know, this may work for smaller districts. Uh, maybe, you know, the city of Decatur schools are very small. I think Marietta is pretty small com- compared to these other districts. Someone says that is a lot for districts to try to assess. And then comes in the other question, funding for all of this. Districts will probably say, look, we we would love to do this. It's a great idea, but we need to have the resources available. And also for our educators, does it mean that they have to receive additional training or there is a way that we even educate the kids? That's going to change. You're talking about, Ed, are you talking about reform? We've We've heard that word before. I mean, that's sometimes a dirty word, right? I mean, so. Well, you said it. I'm not. (laughs) They'll send me an email. (laughs) What I'm talking about is innovation and rethinking and reshaping, like, instead of playing in the sandbox, deciding whether we even need to be in a sandbox. That's Mm. that's what I'm talking about. Right. Because this is the time where people are talking about equity. This is the time where there are more resources look like. You know, we just have the second round of CARES Act funding coming through to schools. I believe APS is getting, I might be misquoting myself, but something something around 89, 80 to 90 million dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, after the stimulus package, like that 1.9 billion dollars, there's, there's a potential opportunity for a third round of funding, which could be double double the amount that they're getting now. So we think about resources, many of those resources, I believe in the stimulus package, I think 20% of that extra money needs to be dedicated to learning loss. Hmm. And if that's true, then there are resources for this. So any time, if you're going to do it, if you're going to make change, I think this is the time. I do think districts have to think about what they're capable of doing, what resources and then what development and support they need to make it happen. Because the devil's always in the details around execution. You can have the best plan in the world, but if it's not executed well, it won't really matter. Well, let's talk about that because if the execution isn't there, don't want to end the conversation on something negative or a downer, but if the execution isn't there, what are some of the probable probable outcomes for those students who so desperately need to have those assessments and, and need to have the the remedial achievements that you know at least the opportunity to to you know shorten that achievement gap that exists? Yeah, I think I think we already know the answer to that. You know, I think we've been seeing it for years, and you name whatever city doesn't you know we don't even need to be talking about atlanta like anywhere any city that you name any urban center any urban districts black and brown children have incredible gaps mm-hmm. and so it's not just the achievement gaps what, what ends up happening is they become opportunity gaps they become wealth gaps they become all these other gaps that exist um so i think we see what we know what we know happens and you know folks who are further behind the, those impacts get amplified organizations like yours and then the conversation I just had with Alex Wan with you know the horizons and we need to see more you saying we also need to see more of these public and private nonprofit partnerships with districts they can't yes. the districts can't do it alone is what you're saying absolutely absolutely yeah I mean that whole takes a village mentality is, is real because I mean look like who who we are um, you know, how we treat our children is a direct reflection on who we are as a city. And if we're not taking care of, of our youngest members of our society, what, what does that say about who we are as a city, about who we are as a society, right? And it should take all of us, right? Um, you know, districts can't do it alone. They do need, like, imagine a world in which the district, the city, the nonprofit folks, philanthropy, everybody's coming together on behalf of our children, like that, that sounds like a great world to me. 
And if this pandemic has not opened one's eyes about the educational inequities facing black, Hispanic, and other challenged communities here in the Atlanta area, then, Ed, I don't know what to tell you, and I don't know what you can tell them. Yeah, I mean, I, that's real. I mean, that, the only thing I can say, that's just real talk. And, and the, the reality, I think, is that the, the unique thing about this pandemic is that if you have a school-age child, regardless of race, class, creed, you were impacted by this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the thing to realize that some people had different levels of impact right and so like you know there are more people who have experienced actual death like i've known personally in the double digits of people who have lost their lives because it's a pandemic mm-hmm. and 100 percent of those people are black and brown and that's Ed- just that's just a very small sample of my personal lived experience mm-hmm. and uh we can have many more conversations about that ed chang executive director of redefine it at Atlanta, the education-based nonprofit, working with parent groups in Atlanta communities. Ed, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We'll check back in with all of you all as we get closer to that, that fall school semester. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to see you. And that's it for today's show. Closer Look is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. If you missed any of today's show, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. as well as in our podcast. Subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. It'll be there. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.